You ready for the word? Obviously, we speak into the whole thing of legacy. It's also Pentecost Sunday, and I'm going to mention that as part of the message as well. But we're talking about in the series, living a life that lasts. And last week, we just asked the question, are you living generationally? And some principles out of that, of a mindset that we live not just for ourselves or what we benefit from, but what we can invest in others or leave behind for others. And the simplest illustration is planting a tree that you may never sit under the shade of or eat the fruit of, but you've left it for the next generation. That's a simple picture of what legacy is all about. And it's a powerful biblical concept. And legacy involves investing in people. I'm going to speak specifically to that next week. But it also involves in what we do financially or materially to invest in others beyond ourselves and to lay up something for future generations. And I want to talk about the power of sowing seed. And most of what I'm looking at is going to be anchored in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth about literally a legacy offering. And he talks about some incredible principles. I'm not going to identify every single thing he says. Relax, you'll be all right. But God is a generational God. He's a God of legacy. He said to Moses, when you go, and Pedro, you were just speaking about that call and Moses' reluctance. But he says, when you go, tell the children of Israel this. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, already generational thinking, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so God says, I want you to introduce me as the God of generations, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want that name to be reinforced from generation to generation so that my people live with a generational mindset. So the first thing just in dropping into 2 Corinthians is the whole issue that Paul introduces the concept, and actually, Danielle, I thought you were going to steal my message for a moment, of the difference between sowers and eaters. Paul teaches that we should be careful how we view our financial resources and introduces this concept of bread and seed. You see, there's everything in our lives. God said, you need to look after your own needs and the needs of your family. You need to have bread to eat. But he says, make sure you don't eat everything. And and it's really simple. If any farmer consumed all their seed, they wouldn't have a future harvest. And so he's saying as believers, we should look at our financial resources, our material resources, and saying, what's bread? What is ours to consume because of we need to live and what is seed that God has entrusted to me and one of the ways that Linda and I do this is we set aside our tithe and offering and that's just a given it's holy it's sacred to the Lord but then we've got a seed account and each year where there's a percentage that we put aside into that account so when something comes up or we know we're coming up to legacy offering it's already prepared and occasionally as we pray we may feel to give over and above it but it's not emotional giving it's planned it's open to the leading of the spirit but it's set 
aside, a seed account. And we started with a smaller percent and each year we increased the percentage that he set aside as seed. It's just a thought. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You see, God says, if you start getting a seed mindset, he'll not only provide you bread, but he also makes sure you've got seed to sow. If he can trust you to sow the seed and not consume the seed. So let's talk about these principles of legacy offering that Paul introduces in 2 Corinthians 8. And the opening few verses are quite astonishing. And I want you to just pick up on the incredible contrasts that the Apostle Paul identifies. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, there are certain phrases there that you wouldn't normally put together in a sentence. I mean, just think of the last time you went through a severe trial. How much overflowing joy was there? And I'm speaking to myself, I'm not pointing the finger. But but he has a group of people following Jesus who even in severe trial and difficulty have found the joy of the Lord in their circumstances. And then he talks about extreme poverty and rich generosity. That somehow even under the pressure that they were facing with material things, they found some seed and Paul identifies it as incredible generosity. So legacy offerings and legacy giving or legacy living in terms of the way we steward our financial and material resources. Number one, it needs to flow from our understanding of the Lordship of Christ. Generosity results from our relationship with God. God so loved that He gave. It's in the very DNA, the very nature of God to be a giver. And as His children, He wants that reflected. We don't earn anything in our generosity. We just become a part of what God is doing. And and again, Pedro, you spoke to that. When God says, I'm going to go and do this, he's looking for people to go and do it in his name, under his power, under his authority. But listen to how the church at Macedonia, that Paul is holding up as an example to the church at Corinth, got to this place of extreme poverty, but overflowing generosity. They exceeded our expectations, verse 5 of chapter 8. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. I want you to notice the anchor point for generous living. The anchor point, and generous living is more than just finances or what you do with material. It's your words of encouragement to others. It's all sorts of things. Your worship to God. The anchor point, the starting point, is established in the Lordship of Christ in your life. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then out of that they gave to others. And it's a powerful thing to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and that includes Lord of everything that I have. Just let that sink in for a moment. And often we struggle with that, especially when we're under pressure. 
is, should we just hold back? Should we? And he says, no, if Jesus is Lord, he's not only Lord of your circumstances, he's Lord of your provision as well. He's the God who supplies. A.W. Tozer said, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Isn't that a powerful statement? And it goes beyond just our tithes, our offerings, our legacy offering. It's the whole thing of giving ourselves, giving our encouragement, giving our worship. Whatever we do that is an act of giving, of generosity, becomes eternal and sacred and treasure in heaven. So legacy life flows first and foremost from the Lordship of Christ. Secondly, it's proportionate to one's ability. Not everybody has the same amount of seed entrusted to them. Or in your journey of life, that may change. Where you're starting off and it's a real battle, but you still put something aside. And then as you grow and God blesses, there's an increased ability. But even within that, in terms of what people do, we all have a different capacity or ability. God just wants to tap into what we have. I love the story of Jesus sitting at the temple treasury, observing people's giving. Now, that's a little bit of an awkward concept in a way, that that Jesus is sitting there and as each person comes up, he's having a good look at what they're doing. And there are some who are incredibly wealthy who are kind of bragging how much and how much noise their coins make as they drop into the container that was part of the treasury given in there. And then he sees a widow who's clearly poor, clearly struggling, who kind of hides what she's got in her hand, hopes nobody notices, but drops it in. And Jesus says to the disciples, she gave the most. Because he's not measuring the size of the gift, he's measuring the size of the heart that gives. Let me say that again. He's not measuring, God never measures the size of the gift. So don't disqualify yourself and go, well, I can't give much. Just give whatever little seed you've got and others may be able to give a lot more. That's all. It's about that participation, that being involved. It's not the size of the gift that counts. It's the size of the heart that gives, that God really examines. And Paul picks up on this concept in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3 to 4. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Everybody say able. So there's this measure. They're giving as they are able. And then they take a step of faith and even beyond their ability. Now, it's not foolishness, it's not extreme, but he's saying they gave what they were able and then they added an element of faith to it. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And it's a giving thing that was for the relief of poverty where there'd been a severe famine. They're struggling. They go, no, we don't want to receive. We actually want to give. Those words are extraordinary when you tie them to this severe trial, extreme poverty, overflowing joy and great generosity that Paul talked about earlier. He said they pleaded for the privilege of participating. They pleaded, they gave according to the ability and then a little bit extra as a step of faith. 
Martin Luther said, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess because it comes eternal. The third thing that we really need to understand about generosity and giving, number one, it flows from lordship. Number two, it's proportionate to our ability. But number three, it's an act to a thing of grace. It's not obligation. It's not legalism. It's not duty. It's not I got to. It's I want to. I want to. Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 introduces this concept of grace throughout these two chapters that deals with financial stewardship. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. I want you to catch that. He says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And the word charis, grace, occurs eight times in these two chapters. So Paul is trying to stress, this is not about duty, obligation, legalism, a weight of guilt and, and manipulation. He says, no, this is a flow of God's grace from God's heart to your heart. And then that grace being extended to others. It's a flow of grace. And he, he anchors us around the fact that God's generosity, that, that Jesus gave himself. Though he was rich, he became poor for us. And he says, all of that is grace. And that's what God wants us to give out of, to respond to situations out of a flow of grace. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in this legalism, obligation, duty, guilt-ridden act of giving. Sorry. What does it say? That you excel in this grace of giving, this grace of giving. And it's opened in our hearts to God's grace that it touches our heart. And out of that flow of grace, we extend things to others. When we start to entertain excuses for not giving, we begin to move out of the sphere of grace giving. Now, we all struggle with that sometimes. That whole issue of should I, could we, can we afford it? What about, you know, that conversation. And you need to address that with God's word, God's promises, God's provision, all of those things. And again, I want to stress, God does not want any of us to get caught up in emotional giving. We're suddenly out of emotional. God wants giving to flow from our hearts, a thing of grace, but he wants you to engage your brain. And that's where the whole thing of giving according to their ability and then he says they gave beyond. There was a step of faith in it, but it wasn't just emotional giving. And that's why I love, and Linda and I love that seed account thing because it's planned, it's intentional. And then with prayer, sometimes we feel to do more or above what's in the account, but it's, there's some planning around it. There's, it's pre-given if you like. And planned, not just an emotional reaction. But when we see a need, we can go, yeah, I feel prompted by the Spirit to do that. Let's do that. We can. 
Yes, we can. Warren Webersey said this, grace never looks for a reason, it only looks for an opportunity. And you think of that in terms of God dealing with us as broken, lost sinners. God didn't look for a reason. He looked for the opportunity to send His Son to lay down His life for us, to die on our behalf so that our sins could be forgiven. So legacy giving is characterized as flowing from the Lordship of Christ, is proportionate to our ability, is an act of grace, but it's willing and intentional. It's willing and intentional. Generosity is a decision that starts in the heart and then engages the mind. And I wanna stress that again. It doesn't start in the mind and then try to engage the heart. God wants always to engage your heart, your innermost being in a response to Him and then your mind to go, okay, how do we do this and what do we do? I just want to really emphasise that. Your heart and then your mind. I didn't say emotions and I'm stressing this. It's not about emotional giving. It's about heart-driven, heartfelt giving. But that also engages your mind and then your actions. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And again, that verse stresses things that I've already touched on, but Paul kind of pulls it together. But notice he says, you should decide what to do from your heart. Not your head, your heart. Not reluctantly, under compulsion, not feeling guilty about stuff because God loves a cheerful giver. Remember many years ago, I've been in America and in speaking at a, a conference and they did a special offering and I did what I normally do back and just pray, well, Lord, what do you want me to give? And an amount dropped into my heart and, and um, it was a reasonable sum, at the time, and my first response was, God, do you want me to give it in Australian dollars or US dollars? <laughs> and because at the time, I think the US, Australian was about, you know, 54 cents or the other way around, you know, it, it, it was. And I just felt, I kind of sensed God's smile because he understood, you know, you're trying to process something. It was in my heart, but now my head has to deal with this. And the question was, well, do you want a blessing in US dollars or Australian dollars? <laughs> but it, we have that struggle sometimes. And then Paul says in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 8, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what you do not have. He's saying, if you want to participate, if you want to engage, that delights God's heart, then ultimately what you actually do. And I'm not diminishing that because God wants us to do something. He wants us to participate. But He says, I wanted to come from a willing heart and a willing mind to engage. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And that's a great statement. But the final thing this morning is that we need to be led by the Spirit in this. 
And this is where I just want to lean into the whole fact that today is Pentecost Sunday, where we celebrate the coming of the Spirit being poured out, not just on special people, but on all God's people. And in Acts, it says your sons and your daughters, your servants and and your slaves, it's your young and your old. And it's an extraordinary thing because up to that point, the outpouring of the Spirit was only on kings and prophets and priests and a few select people. But now God says, I'm going to be generous and pour out my Spirit on all flesh, everybody who names the name of Jesus. And because of that and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives as followers of Jesus, we need to be open to the prompting, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 8, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. God's not obligating us to be generous. And Paul is at great pains to lay this all out. And hopefully I've been true and faithful to what he was saying in that. But he wants us also to be led by the Spirit. And it's not just in the legacy offering. It's being led by the Spirit every day when we see somebody in need or a need. And just saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that I can do to help in this situation? And sometimes the kindest thing you can do is just speak a word of encouragement, organising a meal, sending a card. Like we're not even talking about expensive things, but Holy Spirit, what can I do? I feel prompted, I feel led because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And one of the ways I've learned to identify what is just a good idea versus the leading of the Spirit is number one, the Holy Spirit, when He prompts you, it's gentle and persistent. The Holy Spirit doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He doesn't intimidate. It's a gentle prompting that kind of won't go away. It's just there. It's just there. And of course, He may yell at you if there's an oncoming truck and He wants you to get out of the way. But you know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit, when He leads, He leads with the grace that flows from the heart of God because He is God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And he's not saying, well, if you don't ever get led by the Spirit, you're not a child of God, even though you said yes to Jesus. He's saying the manifestation, the evidence of Christ forgiving you, making you alive, letting His Spirit dwell within you, is that you'll begin to listen for His voice. You'll begin to ask, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Would you guide me in this situation? God doesn't lead necessarily through physical senses, but through that inner witness that I spoke about, that prompting. And if you want to be led by the Spirit, you've got to invite Him to come and do something in your heart, to make His promises real to you, to guide you and to lead you in your decisions. N.T. Anderson said, being filled and led by the Spirit may take you places You never planned, but the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Just catch that again. Being filled and led by the Spirit may take you to places you've never planned, 
But the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And with that, I just want to encourage you as we come up to take our legacy offering next week and people can plan and give beyond that, that's fine. That you actually say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Or maybe for others, it's, you know, we really need to get a seed account opening. And start with a, a small percentage that's over and above your tithe and offering. Say, so we're just going to set that aside to seed. And so when we have an opportunity, we can give. And again, I want to stress, it's not about how big the amount is. It's about the intent, the willing mind, the willing heart that engages with God. But to be prayerful about what can we do about those projects that we've already outlined. I'm not going to repeat them again. You've had enough of my face for one day. It's all good. But one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit is that He makes us alive to God. Jesus talked about being born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus, the Pharisee, was talking to us, said, how can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? When he said, Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And Jesus said, you're born by a woman and then you are born of the Spirit. You're made alive to God. You make a, a mark in time where you say, I am belong to Jesus. I receive all that He did for me on the cross that His blood was shed for me, that He was raised from the dead to make salvation real and enforce it, if you like, in my life, cleansing and all the rest of it. And you're born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes all the work of Calvary and the power of the resurrection and applies it personally to your life and to my life. But it needs a decision. It doesn't need you to do religious things. We cannot earn our way into salvation. We receive it. And that's the point. You receive it. You make that choice. God, I'm going to receive the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness. 